Welcome to this MTech Access webinar. At MTech Access, we provide health economics and outcomes research and market access services from strategy through to implementation. Our unique NHS relationships guide and validate everything we do in the UK. We work with over 80 NHS associates to bring our pharmaceutical and medtech clients authentic insights into the NHS. We can help you answer key questions related to the NHS, from how to communicate with integrated care systems, places and primary care networks, to how to capture pathways of care. Get in touch today to discuss your market access goals. First though, I hope you enjoy the webinar. Good afternoon everybody, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, my name is David Thorne, I'm the, the chair for today. I'm just going to pause for literally a minute because um, of course people join us gradually as they as they click in and uh, we're expecting quite a, a number of people to join us today which is very encouraging but I'll, I'll just let them uh, join us. So you might hear I've a slightly paused introduction from me in my speech here but uh, welcome to the session um, organised by Antech Access. We're looking at specialised commissioning today. Um, we're deliberately going to use NHS language and terminology. So we'll probably refer to this as SPECCOM. One of the questions we'll probably address today immediately is whether that's a, a correct title anymore. But um, I'm really looking forward to today. I enjoy doing these sessions. I'm particularly interested in what we're doing today because I think this is one of the most puzzling aspects of the current changes that we're going through. And I'm, I'm hoping to learn a lot from today. Lily, could you just move us on to the next slide, please? One of the reasons I, I'm so positive about today, and I'm sure I'm gonna learn things, is we've got two expert contributors today, and I'm gonna ask them just to briefly introduce themselves. Mohammed, would you like to go first? Thanks, David. Um, yeah, my name is Mohammed Asghar. I'm the prescribing governance lead within Frimley Health and Care ICS, um, with a background for many, many years working with um, the Acute Trust and dealing with commissioners back in the days of PCTs, CCGs, etc. Um, and having been poached uh, a year or two back, and, and now working for the ICS. So um, very interested in seeing where things will develop with the delegation of SPECCOM um, down to ICB level. Thank you. Well, that's already opened uh, a can of worms there, Mohammed, even in your introduction. So that that would be, uh, I'm really already starting me off with questions. James, who are you? Uh, so, hi, I'm James Curtis. I'm general manager for uh, uh, oncology, haematology, palliative care, immunology, uh, screening and cancer services. So I've got quite a varied role that um, interacts with specialised commissioning in, in lots of different ways from screening all the way through cancer services and their surgical aspects and also clearly oncology and haematology. Uh, I've got uh, 13 years of experience in the uh, in the NHS, um, uh, varying from PCT old days to public health and uh, community as well. Great, and those two, those two brief introductions, they were like an exposition on, on, on the current NHS with its acronyms and its new, uh, its neologisms and its shared roles and its multiple hats that people wear. But what we've got, as you can hear, there are two cracking guys from different parts of the country who've got slightly different perspectives on a very, very important topic. 
Um, if you don't know me, I'm David Thorne. I've got a career in the NHS and, and in industry. Um, my NHS career at the moment is based around primary care, so not particularly focused on specialised commissioning. In the past, I've been a director in a commissioning organisation and, and carried a, a specialised commissioning brief. And I can say immediately that specialised commissioning is a really intriguing area. Yeah. So when I held the brief, I was just thinking last night in my preparation for this, the two most expensive things that I bought under specialised commissioning that I was responsible for were adult eating disorders and forensic psychiatry. So you know, it's a really intriguing area. It's not just about the medicines. It's not just about devices. It's, it's about all kinds of intriguing things. So Lily, next slide, please. Because I'm, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some quick slides to bring us all up to speed. We're then going to hand over a much fuller topic. We'll get off PowerPoint, get Mohammed and James back on. And one of the things I'm going to ask them to do is, is basically to critically appraise the slides I'm about to say, because I wasn't joking when I said I'm really expecting to learn today. This is the most impactful known unknown of all the changes that are going on at the moment. So one of my objectives today is to help you out there. And uh, we've got a record audience today. Um, so you're clearly in the same boat as the three of us. What are the definite things? What's implied? When we forecast this through, what can we expect? What does this mean? Okay. The final bullet point on there is important. Um, if you ask questions today, um, I'm also going to make sure with our panel, and it might limit some of what we say. We can't mention specific companies or specific medicines or devices today. So we might have to allude to certain areas. We might have to say ophthalmology or something like that. And you, you'll have to take it as read what we might be talking about. OK, so it does limit us a little bit on the compliance side. Next slide, Lily, please. And I, I will move through these quickly. This is really important. Um, this is an area of high risk to you. It's probably the area of all the changes that has the most impact, but it is the most nebulous, that has the least detail. And again, that's the sort of thing I expect to see James there making notes for James and Mohammed to come back to me and say, no, you're wrong, because actually it's this. Apologies if this patronizes anybody, but let's just go back to basics. Speccom is essentially an insurance scheme. So what you're doing, whether we were, Hamad mentioned PCTs, CCGs, I go back to health authorities, we've always banded together at a certain level to try and organize services at a level that makes sense for the number of patients. So typically we have phrases around Speccom like um, uh, of, um, uh, to do with low volume and high cost, that's always not always the case, but it's essentially an insurance scheme, hence the geographical spread of it. A significant element of specialised care actually sits outside Speccom. So if you imagine any patient um, journey of um, probably a period before they're diagnosed, often misdiagnosed, all kinds of tests that might take place, a progression of a disease, a progression through the system. There's elements of treatment, hopefully recovery then, um, and people getting better. But when you actually map out somebody's care through everything from NHS 111, through various spells, through treatment, and as I said, hopefully recovery, it is quite striking to see 
how little of that actually sits within a speccom box right and medicines in particular are only one part of that spectrum but for obvious reasons many of us get focused on the medicine or the product that we're actually selling and we miss the peripheral vision really of someone's spell as james is involved with the oncology or when we think about somebody with ms that's a lifetime of, of um, services and care but how much of it is really in that specialized box that's important for us to understand what we're about to talk about in a minute and not all specialized commissioning is specialized really it's certainly not high cost and, and low volume um, again uh, prostate cancer is is an obvious example of something which is actually high volume and sometimes low cost if you don't know what a shelford group trust is then put it in um, uh, a chat box or go into google because it's important for you to know the shelford group are the biggest trusts in in uh, in england there's a dozen of them but if you think of any tertiary trust or foundation trust at least two-thirds of its income will come from specialized commissioning okay so this is really really important if in my case newcastle hospitals or looking at james there um the big hospital in bristol um uhb in birmingham the radcliffe um adam brooks speccom is a huge part of those hospitals income right next slide lily please let's just quickly go through the past system so if Mohammed and james were the same age as me but it was interesting, Mohammed straight away mentioned about PCTs. When I worked uh, as a director in the PCT, this was my world. So because it's an insurance scheme, we used to work with the PCTs around us. So one of us led on mental health, one of us led on oncology, one led on children's services, one led on neurology. We were buying groups working as insurers, if you like, and spreading things out across a big population. But each PCT had a SPECCOM budget. That was based upon our population numbers, our epidemiology, and to be honest, historic outturns from the past. So the way that services have been constructed. High cost drugs, HCDs, they sat within that budget. And interestingly, they weren't usually ring fenced. What, you know, Mohammed and James might explain to us the importance of ring fencing later. But they were crucially managed to budget at a local level. That's why we created insurance schemes and shared those budgets across larger geographies. So phrases like postcode prescribing, the other side of that, it's not a very nice term, shroud waving, those kind of things were prevalent. And the way that services were conducted, access to services was extremely varied. In fact, I, I can remember times when you'd have a full bedded bay in a hospital and two patients might be on one uh, medicine and one pathway and the other patients weren't and that's because of the pct that they were resident in i can remember those days similarly nice implementation could be managed yeah people like me working in pcts used to find ways of implementing nice in a managed way that made sense for us to manage the budget because that was the primary thing that drove our behavior Okay, next bill, Lily, please. What we've had in the last few years, and I'm conscious that for many of you, this is the NHS that you're familiar with. NHS England has led on SPECCOM. We've had CRGs, they set their national frameworks, a certain amount of consistency. NHS England has paid for the service delivery by providers like a James's Trust, 
or some of the trusts I've mentioned. The high cost drugs are a pass through cost. And people like Mohammed have used Blue Tech to uh, administer that and control that process. We've had exceptions around the CDF and some other conditions. They come through different routes. But non-specialized services, in other words, if I was somebody with prostate cancer or somebody with MS, the specialized commissioning aspects of my care were funded in one direction and by one body. But the rest of my care, which is often the majority of the things that happened to me, they were paid from outside that, previously by the CCGs, now by the ICB. So both of those boxes are gross simplifications, really, what's been happening. But there's some very important things about those. Because next slide, please, Lily. Because when we move to this, and this is one of the areas I expect Mohammed and James to come back and say, well, hang on a minute, David. That's not quite how I see it. Over the summer, we've had, in my view, three key documents that come out. The first of these, let's call it the roadmap. That had quite a lot of intention, uh, attention in our world of market access, your world, as the people who are listening to this call. There's quite a lot of awareness of this and a lot of uh, wargaming analysis because it contained crucial annexes that identified medicines that would be um, treated in three different categories. Then we got the middle one. Let's call that the agreement. This is far lesser known and tended to have internal NHS discussion, but it introduced a crucial aspect because that agreement set up the contractual system within the NHS for ICBs to work in collaboration with each other to act as insurance games, to act as specialized commissioners in a devolved sense. And then the third one is one I'd be surprised if many people here have seen, and that's the cash flow standing operating procedure. Let's call that the SOP. So when we get off the PowerPoint and let's get into the discussion, Mohammed and James might refer to the roadmap, the agreement, or the SOP. Perhaps they're also going to mention other documents. Next slide, please, Lily. Now, those, those three documents are, are pretty extensive, yeah, and full of arcane technical NHS language. And uh, someone like me who's made a living from interpreting them, I've really struggled. I've gone back and um, I print them off. I'm not joking. I hold them up to the light sometimes to try and read between the lines. They, they really need a lot of work to interpret. But what I've got on here are 10 consistent elements that I believe are present, either as facts or as raising questions. Let's go through these carefully, because each of these is really impactful for you. Now, that whether you work in pharma, whether you work in devices, diagnostics, or you supply services, these are really crucial to us. So the first one is they all consistently point to some level of delegation of SPECCOM coming to ICBs. The debate has been when. So some of those documents, in fact, all three, suggest that it would be as early as April 2023, yeah, in five months' time, four or five months' time. But as you'll be aware, there's lots of rumors and policy advice around that really we'll be in preparation and we'll hit the ground running from April 24. 
So that's probably one of the first things we want to establish from Mohammed and James. When will that delegation happen? There is definitely, in all three documents, exceptions. They're talking about ultra-specialized services. The first one, the roadmap, says if there are fewer than 500 patients in England in a year with a condition, that will almost certainly stay nationally commissioned. Okay, The CDF, there are statements that say the CDF will continue to be the CDF. NHS England retains NICE and CRG roles. They're referred to. All of them suggest that some ICBs will work in collaborating groups if they're too small to absorb the risk. Now, I'm talking to you from the biggest ICB of all, the Northeast and North Cumbria. There's some things I can share with you today and some I can't. I'm on all kinds of ICB working groups. But what I can share with you is my great big ICB, which is over 3 million population. It is still the intention to have as many services as possible devolved as soon as possible within the rules. Okay, That's the intention. Now, whether that's possible or whether that's desirable, that's a different question. The roadmap in particular talked about a suitability and readiness test. In other words, is an ICB big enough? Is it financially sound enough? Is it mature enough? Is it in patients and clinical services interests? For James there in Gloucestershire, which is quite a small ICB as an example, for them to go it alone or for them to go it in collaboration? And if so, which specialisms? There is an element here really important of the transfer of risk to local level. And a lot of that is because of the next two or three really critical issues. The first one is all those documents reiterate that the SPECCOM budgets in the future, according to the policy that's written, will be population based. What that means is potentially. Mohammed's work in an area in Frimley, which is relatively affluent. I work in an ICB, which is relatively socially deprived. We are funded per head at a much higher level than Mohammed's ICB. That's what a population-based budget suggests. So different per capita budgets according to the ICB. One of the biggest aspects of risks that scares people out in the NHS is there's no real detail in any of those documents on how the baseline budgets will be constructed. So if I'm Mohammed's equivalent in Gloucestershire working with James or the director of finance or the chief officer of the ICB, do we know how much money we're going to get for SPECCOM or for neurology or for PEDS or for breast cancer? None of that appears to be clear. And where that gets really interesting is the roadmap in particular, well, none of the documents talk about what the NHS calls ring fencing, which is preserving money within a certain dedicated budget. But it also makes suggestions that encourage violent. And my ICB, I have to say, uh, rightly or wrongly, is very keen on this. What does that mean? It means, let's imagine, a, we'll take an example. Um, let's go back to numerology, yeah? MS. RA, Parkinson's disease, the specialised commissioning aspects of that, let's just say for the sake of argument that £100 million is devolved to my ICB. That contains all the goods and services, all the medicines, 
all the nursing, all the doctors, the whole shebang of what it takes to care for patients with those conditions in SPECCOM. So potentially locally, we could say of that 100 million, 20 million is spent on drugs. Let's take that down to 17 million. We'll take 3 million and we're going to put that in better prevention. We're going to put that in diagnostics. We're going to buy specialist nurses. We're going to buy some new scanners. That's environment. The roadmap, the first of those documents, teases by suggesting that is a real benefit of devolution. The ICBs will be able to look at the basket of funding and spread that in ways that make sense to them locally. Okay, so next slide, please. Right, the good news is that's enough for me. Lily, if we can close down the slides. And apologies if I went through those a bit slowly, but I did it deliberately so we don't have to return to them. So the first thing I'm going to do with Mohammed and, and James, Mohammed first, is say, does that make sense to you? What aspects of that do you disagree with? What would you add? If you if you produce those slides, what kind of things would you have been putting in? So Mohammed first, and then we'll come to James. Mohammed, what's your perspective? Thanks, David. Um, that, was, that was a really, really useful summary uh, of the, the situation as it is. Um, I, I think one of the things that I, I might just throw into the mix there is, um, whilst saying not disagreeing with anything that you've said, um, would just be about one of the other potential benefits, which might upset um, James uh, and his compatriots in one of these large tertiary centres, um, but also in terms of access um, for patients. Um, if SPECCOM is delegated, um, whilst the CRG will still be setting the national standards that need to be met, there is the potential for local ICBs to identify delivery closer to the patient for some of these services, which is potentially a financial threat to some of these large tertiary centres. As you said, if so much of their income comes from these specialised services, um, and in contrast to the historical arrangements where the funding went to the provider of services, in theory, in future, the funding will follow the patient. So if that patient's not going into, you know, um, the, the hospital in Bristol or the hospital in Birmingham, but they're going down the road to, you know, Solihull or down, down the road to, you know, the outskirts of uh, Bristol instead and receiving a service there, that is a, a potentially a disruptive risk to those large providers, which is one of the reasons why, um, um, depending on who you speak to, they have different views about SPECCOM delegation and whether it's a good or a bad thing. Um, yeah. I personally see it as a, as a real opportunity to improve delivery of services. You've, you've outlined there the possibility of, uh, and really the rationale why this makes a lot of sense, the fact that SPECCOM was never in isolation. The patient would go and access a variety of other services before they landed in the specialised commissioned service and also they would exit that specialized commission service hopefully at some point um, so it makes sense for that holistic look at how do we manage the care of these patients right through the journey before they enter specialized commissioning and, and out the other side and if there's things we can improve um, beforehand to perhaps have few of them landing in that specialized service that was something that was always in the gift of those commissioning those other local services and 
having that split with NHS England kind of disincentivized that holistic view being taken. It was kind of like, actually, that's that's NHS England. They they sort those ones out, so we don't need to worry about them. Whereas if you have that devolution down to the local system and you kind of say, well, actually, it's all your money now. Um, and then there's that incentive to say, well, actually, if we could manage these patients better earlier and end up spending less on them as you know, in that specialized pathway, isn't that a good thing and shouldn't we be doing it? Um, so I think that, that would be one of the things I would add is that that risk for existing providers if things are going to be changing too much. And so to, to, just to summarise that, Mohamed, it's like, and I can see now why you were approached by the ICB, right, is, is um, it's good news for you and your colleagues in Frimley, possibly for me if I was a Frimley resident with MS or whatever, you know, we can use examples like that haemophilia. but. Um, there's a threat in there to your hospital compatriot sitting in a big London teaching hospital on the fringes of southwest London, yeah? There, there is. I mean, uh, somewhere. Yeah? That, 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 that's, been, that's been a tension right since the inception of NHSE, in actual fact. Um, you know, we, we had, when NHS England um, arrived on the scene and replaced the PCTs, there was a whole raft of services which they said, right, you're a DGH, you can't deliver these any longer. These need to be delivered from a tertiary centre. And you mentioned MS. Um, I, I remember having conversations saying, well, we've been managing MS for the past 20 years and I've got 270 patients that we manage. Where do you want me to refer them to? Um, and then as a consequence of that, there was a recognition that actually no tertiary centre could absorb 270 patients from our DGH. We were one of the few DGHs that managed to hold on to a specialised service um, compared to others. Now, I'm I'm not expecting it to be a case of there being lots of services that will suddenly get devolved down to local trusts, but I think there will be a fair few, um, either where there's existing shared care arrangements in place, or where you know there's historical experience of having delivered those services in the past pre-NHS England, where you may feel that there's some appetite within the clinical community to say that actually, why are we sending our patients 50 miles up the road when we've got the skills and competence? And what we need to do is have our local service demonstrate it meets that national standard set by the CRG. So there's a, there's an opportunity if you're an optimist at delivering care closer to the patient, um, which I think would be beneficial. But at the same time, there's a lot of potential for disruption from that and depending on who you talk to and when you talk to them they'll kind of say to you well no no, no this this delegation isn't about that at all it's about local systems acting as the assurers for NHS England uh, and that opens up the conversation well what exactly does delegation mean because delegation in my mind means that actually you're empowering me to change things if you're simply saying here's the money but we're not going to allow you to change anything. That's not really delegation, is it? Yeah. And, and, and Mohammed, can I just go in quickly before I come to James? Because I, I bet there's people out there now saying, hey, well, I, yeah, but what I want to know is when. For the first question is, when do you think there will be dele uh, some kind of delegation? Um, and then we can get into what delegation means. But when, is it 23? Is it 24? Is it never? What is um, it? I I'm, was very relieved when I had a meeting with NHS England and the timeline had shifted because I was expecting there to be a mad frantic bunch of um, activity between now and March um, in, in next year. 
Um, but that timeline has very firmly been pushed back and I would anticipate we're not going to see anything before 2024. We will see some pathfinding and some pilot work done, I think, in certain localities. Um, I think both ourselves and our neighbours in Surrey Heartlands have had a conversation with NHS England about possibly being pathfinder sites for some delegation work. Because, um, yeah, within the southeast region, when the readiness assessments were undertaken, none of the ICBs indicated that they were ready or had the appetite to take on delegation. I think um, that was became clear fairly early on and that's where the timelines shifted. So there'll be a whole bunch of work undertaken in 2023. Um, I mean, some of that is they'll be setting up uh, the reference group for SpecCom in the region. Um, there will also be a I'm sorry, I did have it. Yeah, a SPECCOM delegation reference group is planned to be set up as well as a commissioning committee is planned to be set up. Um, and those will really inform how we you know, navigate that journey into 2024 about landing um, the delegation piece. Um, okay. There are some particularly cynical individuals, if you speak to them, who'll say, well, actually, we know what's going to happen come 2024. There won't be sufficient progress made and it will end up being um, pushed back again. Um, I, I'm optimistic that that won't be the case. I'm sure we will start seeing some delegation happen in 2024. Um, but as to the original roadmap, which suggested, you know, 60 odd services in March of next year uh, and the remaining sort of um, 80 to 90 odd um, well, I think there was 30 that would remain with NHS England, but the, the others ones would be over the course of the next year. Um, uh, I think that timeline was was very ambitious and didn't really um, factor in the amount of other pressures the NHS is dealing with currently. Well, thank you, Mohammed. Right, I'm going to come to James now. You've been very patiently waiting now, but Mohammed, uh, it's great. I, I'm going to highlight. You said depends who you talk to. You know, I would. I'm 300 miles north of you. I totally agree with that. I think your analysis is right. Everything I'm hearing 2024 is the real goal. But um, something else you raised there, which again, our audience will be intrigued by, because where is this written down really? Is is this invitation for some people to go as, as some kind of innovator or, or some kind of pathfinder? I, I, I contributed to an ICB document, draft document this, this, this week. And uh, I was only supposed to add a paragraph, but I read the whole document. And there were paragraphs in there exactly the same thing responding invitations to become some kind of accelerated partial site earlier on and i found that extraordinary i'd never seen that written down and there it was in the document james i'm gonna i know you're a bright guy i'm gonna open a really broad question you say whatever you want you listen to me very patiently listen to Mohammed. what's on your mind what you uh what's your first things that come to your head on this well, I was just looking up when the um, latest that the UK can have a, a general election because it's January 2025. <laughs> um, the cynicism in me would say that, uh, as Mohammed said, whether it will even get um, too far and then it will have to be thrown out. Who knows? Uh, in broad speaking, I, I totally agree. I, I, I really enjoyed your um, slides, Dave, especially about what the PCT old days and, and the current and, and looking at where it potentially could go. Um, and I agree with Mohammed around the opportunities and the and the risks. Um, for Gloucestershire, it's really interesting because actually we're not a tertiary site. 
Um, and actually, if we got, you know, it, it's an opportunity actually where you've got Bristol and you've got uh, Birmingham above us, but a huge population uh, in between. Um, and obviously got Swindon to, to, to the side as well and Oxford up to the north. Yeah, James, we've, we've, we've lost you. We'll come to Mohammed. Mohammed, I'm, I'm already keeping an eye on the time, so I'm going to ask you questions that I think our audience will be itching to ask. Who decides what medicine? In, if this does roll forward in the future in, in the way that you described, if I live in Frimley, who decides what medicine I have? Well, in, in theory, that will still be NHS England deciding that because the CRGs will set the, the standards. So effectively, from the discussions I've been party to, what's actually commissioned, it still remains with NHS England. How it's commissioned is where the local flavour um, has an opportunity to perhaps um, differ from place to place. Um, so you might have, you know, one particular ICB where that may be being commissioned where it's all going into one tertiary site, whereas another ICB could say, well, actually, we will have a hub and spoke model uh, and we'll, you know, have the maybe the initial appointment at the tertiary site and then all the ongoing management will be much more local. Um, but in terms of what the standards are for that service, those will remain um, defined by NHS England through the CRGs. Um, and equally, um, coming back to that point about the historical postcode lottery we used to have, um, there won't be any opportunity for any local ICB to decommission a specialised service. Um, so it, it's not going to be sort of delegated in that manner where you've got entire freedom to say, well, actually, we've been given this money and, and now we're going to do what we like with it and we're not going to spend any on it, any of it on, in the area that it was actually given to us for. Um, so yeah, I think um, the the decision making on this, and this will be interesting to see how these committees that I've heard of this um, joint commissioning committee, how that will function. That uh, there seem to be a, a lot of new committees or repurposed committees being set up at a regional level. Um, uh, I think you know, without wanting to get off topic, you know, we're, we're hearing about these new um, priorities committees. Um, priorities committees in common. Um, we're having discussions in the southeast about a new priorities committee that will cover the whole of the southeast to replace the existing historical one. So there's certain things which we're expecting to be done once at a sort of you know higher regional level, um, and then implementation happens at a local level. That that's kind of the picture that I'm seeing being painted of how these things will work in future. Um, uh, and you know, Speccom, I think, will be you know that again because it's going to be at a national level. Effectively, in England, it will still sit with NHS England as to the decision making of what is commissioned and what isn't. But even just small little marginal changes, because you know, going back to your optimist, hi, James. Thanks for for coming back to us. So, well, what Mohammed was just saying there was, I asked him about um, uh, if I were a patient who decides my medicine, and he was saying about the importance of CRGs coming uh, you know remaining but then mentioned about in the southeast where he is there's new committees in common being established looking at priorities so if i was in the audience mohammed and speaking for our colleagues who are i'd still be thinking well hang on a minute you're saying there's not going to be major changes but if patients move in your case from being at george's or wexham park or whatever and come to you 
that is going to be a change. And if you just make marginal changes, if a little bit more is diagnosis or a certain doctor has a certain view about the ranking or something like biosimilars coming back to you. I mean, James, how much change do you expect to see in reality? Will it be normal state and it's just a Gloucestershire stamp on it or do you expect to see some change? Well, I think the fact is we've we've talked a, a lot about the fact that there's so much uncertainty. If there's so much uncertainty, I don't see a huge amount that's going to change in the in the near future. I do think if we have a, a localised approach like we will do, or sorry, it's proposed, my concerns are around the experience I've had with NHS England in the past around pathways. So a lot of pathways don't aren't necessarily all in the ICB footprint. They go across a number of different ICBs. And this yep. is what potentially people don't necessarily understand. When a patient goes into the NHS, they don't suddenly go, oh, I'm in a SPECCOM service, uh, or oh, I'm in a commissioned, uh, you know, a CCG commissioned service. It's one and the same thing. If you take one element of that out, you put other things at risk. Example, if you, said upper GI surgery goes to X hospital, that has a major impact on your general surgery. You know, so you're going to rip out a service and potentially if you're going to continue with lower GI surgery, for example, there, why would someone go here to that to that uh, hospital, which has just had that service ripped out? Um, and all of the other support services that go along with that. So you can look at the cancer side of things, for example, cancer pathways, but they're the same surgeons that will be doing the routine work. Mm. So it's they are one and the same thing. Yeah. So you can't see this as, a, as an isolated thing in the sense of the service provided, but also within your ICB. Now, David, like in your area, it's so big that a lot of the pathways I imagine are held within that, um, within that area. But for Gloucestershire, it's very small. So we do do a lot of our own treatments, but there are services, um, are pathways that go north and south. Who's to say that the decisions made in Bristol won't hugely impact on us um, and and the services that we provide? And what I'm seeing are those conversations. And again, you know, in the confidentiality segment, saying you're going, you're a critic of anything, you know. But are those happening? Because as as soon as you said that, I was thinking about things like small children who will have multiple specialised issues, mm. unfortunately. Or you say it's very rare that somebody says, I've just, in fact, has got a certain kind of cancer. You've got, you've probably got a whole series of other things. Are there groups looking at this? How do we ensure that the wheels don't fall off? There are groups. So, for, for, for instance, for, for, for PEDS, yes, but I don't get a sense that um, it's, it's much evolved than the actual network system that would be set up to ensure that the pathways are operating in, in the right way. I don't get a, I, I'm not close enough to it myself, but I don't get a sense that there's, there's huge conversations that have been had around provider collaboratives or how pathways would look in the future. For me on the ground, very much, you can only just look on BBC News and, and look through uh, the news articles around the NHS to understand where senior leaders' uh, views are looking. And it's very much on that urgent care space and the finances. Um, you know, obviously, all ICBs need to um, um, not have a deficit by the end of uh, the financial year. That's going to be very difficult for virtually every single ICB. <laughs> so that's that's one of the major focuses. And obviously, as I said, as I said, urgent care is the only game in town, really, in a lot of ways, um, and keeping patients safe. Um, you can just see the news around UHB Birmingham, 
uh, uh, today. You know, so it's for me, I think that the, the climate's not been particularly um, yeah. easy to look at that strategy and and looking forward to what what's going on. And obviously, NHS England and NHSI merging in the last year certainly hasn't helped with that either. There's huge, huge transformation that's gone on behind the scenes that no one really would know unless you work with people in NHS England and they say, I'm not sure if I've got a job next week uh, or, you know, I don't know how it's looking. And you think if you're looking that way and thinking about what, how's your, you know, if you've got a job next week, you're not going to be thinking about that, that, you know, two, one, two years ahead of you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 you know, I'm, I'm always the oldest person on these calls, you know, and I said, I've, I've never known times like it. The, the disruptive nature of the change, the poor change management, the poor comms, the, um, the basic things that, that are so important that seem to be neglected at the moment. Um, again, I'm keeping an eye on the time and I'm thinking of, I wrote down some basic questions, but some fun, not basic, fundamental questions I want our audience to have today. You've both alluded to how difficult it is. It's striking, James, you're saying, well, I keep an, I keep an eye on the national news to try and understand what's going on. For our friends out there who work in pharma and devices and diagnostics, What's your advice to them? Where should they go to try and get on top of this change or at best to be a step ahead of it? Um, Mohammed, where would you, are there sources people can go to? How can they try and find out what on earth is going on and modeling it? David, um, you, you set me up nicely for a little anecdote. Uh, I, I had a conversation with a colleague from Pharma um, and it was an uh, advanced budgetary notification meeting and then but within that context they said oh, what's happening with specialized commissioning devolution um uh, or delegation rather and I, I looked at them and i said i don't know you tell me and, and, and they laughed and they said they said but well, they said surely if you guys don't know what's happening with that in frimley how what chance have we got outside you know the, the system um so i mean i think um, that, that these types of webinars, these sorts of forums uh, and discussions are very useful to be linked into and tap into. Uh, there's the NHS Futures platform, which I'm not sure if that's actually accessible to people outside of the NHS. Um, I'll, I'll confess ignorance because I find that platform so bloody difficult yeah. to navigate that I don't even bother trying any longer. Um, I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't think it is directly, but I don't think it's too much problem. And I'm not saying anything untoward. If if I worked for a big company and I had a good relationship with you, you're allowed to say, "Oh, have you seen this?" or I'll print it off for you. I don't think there's anything on there which is 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 meant to be strictly confidential, is there? But as you say, it's hardly the most user friendly. It's not as if you could put Speccom clinical hematology in or something like that, and and the answer comes out. Is it? You're both shaking your head straight away. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, James, so, uh, what, sorry, Mohammed. James, what about you? Where would you go if you were an account manager for a, a big device company or a, a medicines company? How that earth do you get on top of this? It's, it's really tricky, isn't it? I suppose um, obviously there are regional, the, the, the NHS England uh, regional um, bodies are still around. Certainly for cancer, there's there's a there's a regional guy um, still working with us, so they're all in post. So, from my point of view, if you've got a if you've got an in within the NHS, uh, NHS England, it's asking about that there, there will be still people overseeing some of this. You know, with NHS England haven't by the fact that this document these documents have come out suddenly just dropped everything. You know, we there it's still the status quo. So, from my point of view, that's if you can get an in within NHS England, obviously that's a given. 
within um, within ICBs, I'd be looking at someone um, either that oversees clinical program groups or clinical reference groups within the ICBs that would potentially have a have an understanding because they would have an over, uh, more of a strategic view across quite a lot of uh, work that goes on within those ICBs. And there's also obviously um, there will be a um, specialised commissioning link within within ICBs, um, but it's just it's just getting it's getting the uh, the person. Obviously, you could potentially FOI the ICB to get to get a name um, of of someone. So having a carefully constructed question um, would elicit a, a, a an answer. So that that is one way of doing it. Um, those are, that would be my advice. And your your senior medics, they're often the the key opinion leaders, the main people that our our friends here on the call. Um, how how aware are they of the sort of things that we're talking about today? Not much. Like a, yeah, for cancer drugs fund, for example, I I, I talked to my oncologist lead, who's very very sharp, and he was just sort of like, oh, I'll see, it. I'll, I'll 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 believe when I see it. Is, is essentially his his response um but you know as long as we, you know he he would he wouldn't really care if i'm honest in in a lot of ways as long as he can continue the way that they 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 would work i mean so that's probably a disservice he does care because he's looking at it from a strategic point of view but as long as he can continue what what how they're delivering he probably he would be looking at it more from an opportunity of whether there's any more additional funding but i wouldn't say that there was more additional funding coming from this Okay. I would actually say that you're in competition with other more services, uh, and actually some of this money being top sliced and put on the bottom line of uh, ICBs. But that's my again a slightly cynical point of view. No, but it's it's a realistic one. Mohammed, you were shaking your head. How are we uh, uh, clinicians and by clinicians? I'd also extend that across to to you and your peers. Is this something you talk about all the time? You're on top of it. It's uh, well. I, I would say that it's, uh, for myself and my peers, we're, we're aware of it um, because we, we were meant to be preparing for it. Um, and but we're aware of it in some hours, you know, as, as much as been shared today. You know, um, we, I've, I've got some other slides and other presentations that have been shared with me that flesh things out a bit more about work we might be doing collaboratively in the course of 2024 to try and land this. Uh, in terms of clinicians, though, uh, I think many of you know our quite senior clinicians they, they've been so bogged down this past year with the service pressures they haven't really had a chance to take a step back and have a look at what's happening in the strategic environment around them um, even in terms of the establishment of the ICBs um, our, our local DTC chair it kind of came as news to them about the ICBs and I was asked to do a presentation about what the ICB was and what it actually meant because in their mind it was oh that's just the new name for the CCG isn't it and I kind of said to them well no if it's the new name for the CCG then something's gone seriously wrong because that's completely not meant to be what the ICB is meant to be it's meant to be much bigger than what the CCG did bringing things together with local authorities with social care and looking much more holistically at population health. It was interesting, David, your anecdote at the start about when you were in the PCT world and, and you would come up with ways to effectively manage nice implementation yeah. that you know didn't blow the budget. Um, and, I, and I think I remember those conversations in the past when you know you'd have therapies and think, well actually but it's going to save this much in rehab costs or this much in you know long-term care costs. And the conversation was yeah but we're not responsible for that budget. 
So we, we can't really agree to fund this, even though it would save money elsewhere. Now, when you're looking at a much more systemic view, um, that's where I see the positive benefits of the ICB world and the potential for bringing this all into one pot of money with one group responsible for it. But yeah, I would say that the awareness in the clinical community, certainly within my local trusts, uh, is quite low at the moment. So let me ask you something. It, uh, who's in charge of it? You got there. You are Frimley. You're the highest ranked ICB in the country. Who's in charge of making sure that specialised commissioning is, is devolved and implemented according to the policy in the in the best way? Is somebody in charge of it? There is somebody in charge of it because I remember posing the question because I, I was I was told with this readiness um, assessment that had been sent out for ICBs to respond to uh, and I remember thinking okay I wonder who that's gone to and, and I, I did get the name I'm not going to share their name here but, yeah, they're, 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 but they, they are tasked with various work programs but in amongst that was this delegation of specialized commissioning um, and, and I mean the, the the one thing that we haven't touched on particularly but it's also been flagged uh, as being something that was going to be delegated was the delegation of um, pod delegation so pharmacy optometry and dentistry in, in primary care that was again something which was commissioned by nhs england which was going to be coming down to local icb level and that again has i wouldn't say it's hit the buffers but it's been slowed and what we are gathering now is that it's going to be probably a case of you'll have piecemeal delegation of those services and you might have one ICB that decides that, okay, we're going to deal with dentistry. Another ICB might say, okay, we'll do optometry. And another ICB might say, well, we'll do pharmacy. So you're not going to have this sudden big bang of, right, here's all the pod um, contracts all delegated down to ICB level. So I think there's a slowing, uh, shall I say, of the movement along the track, but the direction of travel is very clear. That's a great way of summarising it. James, you're, you're in a good concerted um, ICB where people know each other quite well and have got long working relationships. Who Do you know, Is don't mention the name if you do, what kind of person or is anyone in charge of all of this? Is anybody collating it on behalf of one Gloucestershire? I don't know the name. Um, I know there is someone looking at it, but I think from uh, it, it pretty much summarises exactly where Mahound is. Is that I think they're still in very early days of understanding what that actually what actually that means and and what it means for them. Um, so I'm not not privy to it, but definitely think it's not. It's certainly not evolved. Certainly not. Okay. Now Mohammed's obviously had to go out there. Oh, he's come back. I, it, it gives me a chance, though, Mohammed. Firstly, to say. I'm so far north of you, I can't believe it's still daylight where you are. I'll start where I am. But the second, <laughs> the second thing I was going to say is, James, you've obviously got specific, you mentioned the CDF. Yeah. Now, there'd be colleagues, uh, if you could try and be brief, I know it's a complex topic. Mm. Where are cancer services going? Where are the cancer alliances going? Where, CDF, you said there about your clinical colleagues saying, you know, there's too much going on. Where... Where do you think we'll be in a year's time about cancer services and the CDF, and particularly the medicines around it? It's such a huge topic. I don't think we'll be any further forward, if I'm honest. I think we'll be remaining status quo. Um, I don't think, certainly the alliances aren't looking at anything around 
um, you know, evolving pathways in that transformational space of, you know, centralizing them in et, et al. We just don't, there, there isn't the capacity or the appetite. Um, cancer drugs fund is interesting when you just look at some of the data or some of the information that, that there's that sort of um, suggestion around devolving that to regions or uh, slash ICBs. But I, I can't see that happening now, certainly with the amount of uncertainty and transformation that's required before that, I could see that being quite a high risk to go with Cancer Drugs Fund as a as a first thing yeah, to look politically, at. Be, politically, it'd be you were nodding there you agree, yeah? Yeah, I, I would say that's probably going to be the one that's going to be the lowest down the list of um, as topics that where there would be an appetite for from ICBs. I think that would be seen as a as one of the highest risk areas that they're probably going to say no. Actually, we'll leave that on on the to do list, as it were. So okay, that's great because that that gives me. Um, the, 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 if we just do this as a last question, it'd be great. But I've got a couple more I'm going to ask you. So try and give me quick answers. And that is, if the CDF is in the let's leave it, that's too hot to handle. What what do you think will get addressed first? What would be on the top list then, Mohammed? And I'll come to James. I mean, I think it's going to vary between ICB. Uh, depending on the level of expertise you've got locally uh, and the appetite there is around um, this for, for different areas. Um, I mean, uh, I think for ourselves, we might be interested in some of the paediatric um, specialised work because, and in fact, the only difference is the fact that the age group of the, uh, of the patients, um, the actual... Um, treatments, et cetera, are largely aligned with what's offered for the TAs for adults anyway. So that, to my mind, and we will have existing shared care arrangements with tertiary centres anyway. So that, to me, seems like a fairly easy one, or the, you know, the, the low-hanging fruit, to um, use a cliche, that could be relatively quickly delegated down to local level. Um, other than that, I mean, I think, depending, as I said, it on what the clinical expertise is, I think there may be some appetite for some of the specialised rheumatology or specialised dermatology um, to be done at a local level. And again, that is due to the um, historical practice where that was delivered locally in the past anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's really interesting. As I said, I'm, you know, I'm 300 miles north of you. I read this mysterious document earlier this week. And when I, I read the paragraphs that perhaps I wasn't supposed to read, the two big things that are in there, dermatology and rheumatology. Okay, It actually led me to put in, you know, you put in a little comments box, I've got why dermatology, I'm still waiting for an answer. But dermatology and rheumatology, yeah, the, that, that's my ICB's big things. James, what, what do you think, the, I mean, what do you think people will go uh, for? Where would you see uh, a change? Well. So it sounds like I'm sucking up to you, David, but I think I, I would have said exactly the same of looking at some high volume sites, especially with elective recovery being such a, a big thing. Dermatology, I know why they're looking at it is because there's going to be some quite significant routine backlogs there. Um, yeah. Dermatology in terms of dermatologists is, is an area that um, clearly that we have workforce issues in that particular area. So if you... I would suggest they'll be looking at certain uh, certain services that are impacted, certainly, especially around DGHs with with high, quite specialist um, services. So they struggle for workforce and paying absolute fortunes for locums. You could, 
I can name a, n a number of specialties that are like that, where you would want to um, centralise those and look at those pathways and, and get your throughput much higher and get your efficiencies. So I think sites which have, um, you know, a low, lower complexity, higher throughput is definitely where I would be focusing. Uh, that's not necessarily what they will do, but that's certainly what I would be doing. Okay, so let's we we've got a few minutes left. So in in those few minutes, let's try and imagine ourselves out in the audience, yeah, and working with the companies they work for. Just just on everything that we've said over the last fifty minutes or so, but just in your last answer, James, I was thinking if I was out there, I'd be thinking, what does centralisation mean to me? Which hospital is going to lead? We've mentioned about collaboratives. You know, Mohammed's talking about. Forgive me, Mohammed, summarising it, but you know, activity possibly coming out of London being repatriated to, to Surrey and Kent and new services being created, but similarly not too much change and not too much change on formularies and things like that. So for each of you, if you were out there today and working in one of these big companies or a small, very focused company, what's your advice to them? Mohammed, what, what would you advise them to do? What, does, what should be on their list to take away from today's event? Uh I think that they need to build up their network um, outside of those traditional tertiary centres that they've been, you know, uh, invested mm -hmm. in, um, because there's the possibility of, you know, some of those services coming out and them needing then for to build up relationships with other organisations. Um, I mean, you mentioned it previously about some services coming out. We've we've done that locally with. RMS because we've taken that out of St George's at the Frimley Park site and we've taken that out of Charing Cross at our Wexham Park site um, uh, and at the time you know there was some conversations with NHS England because they thought we were trying to poach activity and we said no we've had the conversations with the tertiary centres they're at capacity they would love for us to take these patients from them mm. so we're not poaching we're actually helping um, so it, it's I can imagine those sorts of conversations um, being the easy ones where actually tertiary sites are quite keen to have some help with the capacity. I think the more difficult ones will be where, you know, um, tertiary sites feel that they're going to be impacted financially if they have any activity, leaving them to go to do it more locally. But I think for that, it's really having those that awareness about where services might potentially shift. If you've got a tertiary centre and it's at the centre of a number of feeder DGHs, is there likely to be some shift in the other direction yeah, that's sort of the delegation great advice james in 30 seconds what would you advise people to do i couldn't get anything better than mohammed is that is yeah. terming the phrase wargaming have a look at, for glossary as a classic example massive patch in between two tertiaries that there's opportunities there to grab some more market share in the in the future um tertiary centers are overrun you know so where are where are the backlogs where do they exist and, and the data is there it's all in the national forums yeah, and I'm thinking, again, I can see why you mentioned dermatology. You know, you look at the case mix of a 1,000 dermatology patients, and I wonder how many of them are really specialised, and you want those to go to the tertiary centre, don't you? You want those in front of the right doctors. But the other 600 patients, do they really, and they're on that waiting list, and you could make a difference, you know? It's that kind of, yeah. So let's leave on that optimistic note. I'd like to thank you both, particularly Mohammed. It's nice to see the sunshine. I wouldn't like to live in Surrey or anywhere near it, but you know, it's good to know you've got some sunshine there. <laughs> I've read, I've read in the paper that you've got houses that can cost a hundred thousand or more there. I, I couldn't possibly live there, but uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, it it is starting to get dark where I am already. 
James, thank you very much for your insights as ever. Pleasure. Thank Thanks, you guys. everyone who dialed in. Um, very complex topic. Um, I'm sure there's also a lot of uncertainty you're left with, but at least now you know that there's some uncertainty that people at right of the centre of change still have. Yeah. So if you are still confused about some aspects, it's right to be confused. And they give you some really good tips about where you can go to try and keep on top of that uncertainty. So thanks very, very much for everyone today. And see you all soon. I hope at another MTech Access webinar. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we could support your market access goals, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk or visit our website at mtechaccess.co.uk.